Uh, thank you so much for downloading this episode of So What Do You Really Do, the podcast where I, your host, editor Dennis Mallard, speak with artists and entertainers about their day jobs. Uh, and we are out of the studio and on location, which you know always, always makes me nervous, because uh, this location is a boat, and I love bringing electrical equipment onto a boat that's surrounded by water, because I don't worry about things. I'm not, I'm not a worrier. This is the best part. I'm do. I usually don't do my intros live, but I'm doing it right now in front of the bands. We're like, oh shit, we've started, and there's other people on the boat going, what just happened? What's going on over there in that corner? Why is that guy sounding incredibly weird and cheesy? Why is it? Who is he talking to right now? The only band that can make me want to get out of the studio and do this uh, is the band that I'm with today. We are on a boat to see them perform uh, for Aquapalooza. Uh, and that band is the Dirty Dotties. And this is weird. This is the weird thing about doing live intros on the podcast. I feel you went and did it. Thank you. But I feel like that there's supposed to be applause. Mm. Like when I do it in the studio and I, <laughs> we don't have to actually applause, but I feel like I'll put it in later. It'll happen in post. Woo. Woo. <laughs> I will be the woo person. For so you. yeah, no, uh, the Dirty Dotties, uh, winner of the 2015 best pop act of the year for the new England music awards. Guys, I told you I did a lot of prep for this interview. They're literally, their jaws are agaping right now going, wow, he knows a lot about us. Can I tell you that we, the most uh, impressive part of your research that you've done on us is the fact that you spelled our name perfectly. Oh, yeah, because there's it's no apostrophe exactly right. for the S? No apostrophe, no I-E-S. You, you nailed it. Yeah, no, it took a... My phone still tries to autocorrect that for all my notes. Sure, yes. <laughs> They're just like, do you mean I-E-S? I'm like, no. <sighs> I Thank do you not. Thank you so much. Well, we're going to start the uh, interview off with uh, lead singer and ukulele player and guitar player and I guess the person who came up with the band name, uh, Julie Diorio. And I'm half Italian. I should say that name better. <laughs> I, I know I don't look half Italian. I look like I should be wearing green and selling breakfast cereals. Yeah, Lucky actually, Drives. I know. nailed it, yes. Not even Irish at all. Like, I just I just let people in Boston believe I'm Irish so they don't beat me up. Because when they find out I'm an O's fan, they're like, oh, you're an O's fan and you're not Irish? It's it's just what we have to do. We have to hit you with bats and chains. <laughs> just what happens. Oh, I'm so sorry, Danny. <laughs> So anyway, we're starting with Julie. Let's go ahead and talk about that because I spelled the band's name right, which you were just like glancing over to the prep. Like, what things did he write down on his prep sheet, which the listeners are going to know? I, it usually doesn't sound like I do a lot of prep, but I really do. Uh, but I did a, an amazing amount of prep for this one because I was like, we're going to be short. There's six people. Literally, I almost bought name tags for everybody just so I didn't <laughs> accidentally call somebody the wrong name in the middle of the inter- interview. Like I literally had just walk him and go, Danny, yeah, that's right. I did in my head. Anyway, but uh, let's talk about the name of the band. Where is where did the Dirty Dotties came from? Yeah, well, thankfully, I didn't have to make that up. I, I make up a lot of uh, what we do, like, you know, like marketing. Like, I don't know how to do that. I'm just making it up. However, the band name, I did not have to make up, thankfully, because it's just my grandmother's name. Um, and I didn't even make up the dirty part. I guess the, the, <laughs> the definite article I did I did throw in there. But um, dirty... Way, you don't have to match my speed in, in talking. You can just talk at another level. It's I the... can't control. Oh, I said, okay. So we're basically both just speaking exclusively to dogs. Like, just that fast, that fast, like, pitch. <laughs> and everyone's like, okay, yeah, no, it's, uh, the entire podcast is going to be listened to, like, negative one and a half speed at this point. For, That's right, for yes, we're going to have to, like, slow-mo this was, episode. So your grandmother is the Dirty Dottie that you named this episode. She, right, she's, she. she's Dirty just Dottie. one. And she's the, the singular, original Dirty Dottie, and, and uh, she earned that name for herself many years ago because of her affinity for dirty jokes, which she sprinkles uh, Yiddish phrases in, in and around there, um, and her friends called her Dirty Dottie. And um, 
we uh, one of our first shows um you know the the venue was like we need your name what's your band name and i was like i don't know we had like a stupid working name that uh so that you guys f- played your first show without even having a name well i mean we kind of ha- we just didn't know that it was going to be the real name but yeah the original name was, what the was it Mora? <laughs> well originally our name was the gingerbread heads <laughs> because um <laughs> I mean, it wasn't serious. It, we weren't really serious about it, but we live, me and Julie used to live together in, in an apartment, um, and she li- still lives there actually, but, um, it's, uh, it looks like a gingerbread house from the outside. And, uh, that's where we got that name from. But we were like, hmm, that's, that's cool, but like, we can do better than that. So. <laughs> we can do better than that. So on the spot, uh, the Dirty Toddies would name it after my grandmother. Okay. Well, literally, actually, there was an invitation to her 80th birthday party, um, on the mantle, like in the room where we rehearse. And I was like, oh, my God, that's it. Like, that was it was because there was an invitation, like, laying around. Perfect. And uh, it it's was a lot perfect. like how the presidents of the United States of America got their band name. I don't know if you ever heard this. Uh, John almost nodded his head just to agree. And he's like, no, I don't actually no, know the story. I was agreeing with the I know that band. I've heard of Okay. Yes. Continue. Uh, well, basically, what happened is they were playing a house party. And every time they did a set, they came up and changed the name of their band because they had no band name. It's great and one of them, they came out and just went, we're the presidents of the United States of America. And that got the biggest laugh. They're like, all right, that's who we are from here on out. <laughs> so basically, it's just wow. under the gun pressure. They came with their band name same, similar to the way you guys did. That's, that's sort of amazing. Wow. I'm really glad that I heard that, that story. You have something, Thank you for that. Yeah. There's that story you're going to put in your pocket. Incredible. And next time you're going to go in somebody else's pocket and go, well, we got our name the same way. Exactly. Uh, but all right, so let's talk about this because this podcast is about day jobs and that duality yeah. of being an artist at at night and having to do something else during the day. You're lucky enough to actually have, and most of the band's lucky enough to have to be able to do your art during the day as well because you are a music teacher, but on your it's own, like you just teach students. Like, all right, first off, how do you just decide to be a music teacher? Like, if you went to a school, which we'll get to that in a second, what if you do teach at a school? Like, how do you just decide to start? I actually, I didn't decide. Some of these other guys actually did make the decision probably as like an active thing, but mine was totally passive. I fell into education. In fact, when I was going to school for music, I all were like the first half of it anyways. I said that I wasn't going to do education. Um, and then, but the thing is, I've, I've been teaching since I was 15 years old. Um, because somebody asked me to play, I played drums in our, in our synagogue's band. Um, and somebody asked me to teach her daughter how to play the drums. And I was like, all right, sure, whatever. She's like, I'll give you 15 bucks an hour. I'm like, great, whatever. Um, and I... <laughs> That's what John charges for drum and I, uh, I took the job, thankfully, and I taught her in my parents' attic um, as best I could. And then all I had to do was just not screw it up until, you know, from 15 to 29, here I am. That's the worst part. Like, if you're teaching somebody else and they just are terrible at it, does that reflect on you as a teacher or you can't, you just can't walk up to their parents and be like, she's unteachable. No, I totally disagree with that. Actually, a, a person's for me as a teacher, a person's um, ability, how they are playing the music, like what it sounds like to your ears has very little to do with their success level for me. Because as, as one of my students, if you are successful, that means that you are trying your best. So you're putting in a good effort. You are um, having fun and your parents are happy. Really, like whoever's whoever's paying for the lessons should be happy. The students should be happy, and and really that's all I'm looking for because not everybody's talented. Like not everyone is just like. Yeah, is, I know. That's why I tell jokes and not do something else. <laughs> like and that, but that's okay. Like music still has value for people who don't make good music, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, no, I play the drums poorly. 
And that's why I sold them when I moved to Boston because I'm like, I'm not dragging them up here and I haven't played in a band in sure. eight years. But let me ask nine you, did you, how did you feel when you were playing the drums? Well, I picked up the drums not to be in a band. I picked them up because something to do. All right. my friends were musicians. I had started fooling around their drum sets. I saw one for sale at a pawn shop because I'm from a poor neighborhood in Baltimore, so we don't go to like Guitar Center and fantasize. We walk around a pawn shop and fantasize about what we were going to buy if we had the money. Yeah. And I bought the drum set, went home, and just started playing. I already knew how to play, just not very well. Mm-hmm. And I got all right. I was you know, four, a good enough 4-4 four, four drummer. I've played with a band or two over the years just to, instead of talking about my friends' bands, decided, sure. oh, I'm going to go audition some bands, but... I never took lessons other than my friend going, all right, here's a four, four, that's it. And then he walked away and went, all right, one, two, three, four. So Mm -hmm. I I don't know what the progression level is supposed to be of lessons. Like if somebody was supposed to be teaching me and I was, and I was still as bad as I am, I'm like, I don't know who to blame me for the lack of talent or you because you're a shitty teacher. Sure. Well, I mean, that's really true. And I think everyone's goal. It was for fun, by the way. That's the only reason I did it was for fun. Everyone's goal is different. So if you were having fun when you were playing drums, then that's great. If you if it was something to do, you know, and it kept you kept you off the streets, um, then like I was whatever. eighteen when I bought a drum set. <laughs> like I that. was well aware of what the streets were. Sure, sure. If it kept kept you off the sidewalk, as it were, then that's totally cool in my opinion. And some of my students are are really good at what they do, and some of them, you know, are are good in in a different way. You know what I mean? They're 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 getting something out of their lessons that isn't necessarily gonna like put them on a on a stage and have them be a master at what they do and that's totally okay over the course of my teaching career i've had plenty of people who've gone on to like do other amazing things that aren't music but i think that their music lessons totally contributed like public speaking is a big deal um i mean anything where you have to be a leader and be in front of people and have people listen to you and not freak out and poop your pants you know i think I think music lessons really do contribute to all of those things. And I think actually Ellie can probably speak to that even more than I can because she's a music therapist. And I feel well, like that's we'll, probably we'll a lot get of about the music do. therapy in a moment Sure, because <laughs> I'm curious about that one. Yeah, I what Ellie does uh, is extraordinarily interesting. But, uh, well, how many instruments do you teach? Because you I said teach... you started teaching the drums, right. you play the guitar, the right, ukulele, which is kind of the same. Which, by the way, thanks for knowing how to play the uke. Thanks for like, there's so like we're at a, a, a precipice in age where it's like, all right, I'm a quirky girl who stops at the thrift store. I guess I'm supposed to play the ukulele, and they're not very good at it. Sure. Ju- it's basically just one downstroke of one note, and that's their song, especially in comedy, especially in comedy. Sure. At least you know actually how to play that, which is good. So thank you for knowing how to play an instrument instead of picking up going, I'm going to be I'm gonna be Zoe, the new Zoe Deschanel. Aw, Zoe. <laughs> I love Zoe. It's her followers that are the problem. Oh. It's her disciples, the disciples of the new girl. Anyway, how many instruments? Let's go back to the question. Even though we're, I'm compl- I'm a tangent. I'm just one long running tangent. That's basically what I am. How many instruments do you teach to your students? I teach drums, guitar, ukulele, voice, and like general songwriting. Okay. And and whatever the hell they want to learn. If they want to learn the tuba, I'll I'll teach them the tuba. No, I don't. I don't teach the tuba. <laughs> but those are the things I have to teach. I also I've created summer camps uh, for the last several years. Oh really? Um and and implemented those. You know, doing like improv uh like sketch comedy and you know musical theater and and all kinds of like whatever whatever you can think of if you want to learn it i'll i'll tell you what i know about it anyway (laughs) (laughs) well how long have you since you said you started teaching at 15 yes when did you officially become like a full-time teacher i mean i that's literally been my job. job since i was 15 i never stopped doing that 
all through high school, all through college. Like I would always go home during the weekends to teach. Um, I also worked at Daddy's Junkie Music while I was in college, which is a music store that used to exist. Um, I probably gave away too many things, and so now they've gone under. Sorry, guys. But um, did they like go under yesterday? Not yesterday, but, but it was there, little... is there is there customers just finding finding out from my podcast that the store went closed up? <laughs> Sorry, you guys, Are we breaking news. On now you podcast? have to go to Guitar Center. I apologize. Um, I love Guitar Center. <laughs> I just but, get, like every time I go to Guitar Center, I play the electric drums. They're like, "Ugh, here's this asshole again." Like, give him the headphones and the and the sticks, and we'll just leave him be sure. by himself. Well, the, the glory of, of working at an instrument store is a totally separate conversation, which was super fun and also so many anecdotes for that one, but. You know, like listening to people like pour their hearts out in the acoustic guitar room, like while you're in the bathroom, because it's literally it shares the wall for me. And like the employees are like taking a poop and you're like singing dashboard at the top of your lungs because you think no one can hear you. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to uh, Mora in the band, who is cause the first question. I love how she just waved on an audio podcast. <laughs> hey, can you it's see like me? Sign la- doing sign language for Stevie Wonder. Like. <laughs> anyway. All right. So. This is a first question. Sure. The hell is a vibraphone and what's the difference between that and a xylophone? <laughs> I know we were carrying, I was helping you carry it on and a guy was just yelling at you. Hey, so what's the thing you're carrying? A massage table? And you're like, it's a vibraphone. I'm like, just yeah. tell him it's a xylophone. He doesn't know the difference and neither do I. Yeah. I, the, 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 the one thing I get is like, cool, xylophone. I played that when I was in elementary school and I'm like, great. That's great. <laughs> but, and I just, you know, I, I keep going, I just keep going on my own way. But. It, yes, it's a vibraphone. It's like somebody um, trying to argue the difference between a cello and a via de gamba to me. Hey guys, pull, really pulled that musical instrument out of the back of my head. <laughs> well, I mean, you can't you can't play. Somebody mom. just googled <laughs> what a via de gamba is, by the way, and that's yeah. all I wanted from today. <laughs> this podcast is over with. I, no, what is the difference between the two? Um, well, a vibraphone is made out of all metal. It's a flat. The accidentals are flat, along with the the diatonic scale, you know, the naturals, and um, it has a pedal on it. On yeah, the bottom, the just pedal. like a piano, so you can sustain the notes. Okay. Um, and a xylophone is usually, the, the keys are usually, uh, well, it's much smaller. The keys are much smaller. It's made out of wood, uh, rosewood, or um, synthetic materials, much higher pitch. And you cannot sustain the notes than there on that either. There's also the marimba, which is a very large. It's a dance, rosewood. right? Rosewood. It's a dance. <laughs> popular in South America. <laughs> but that's what I started playing. I was is a it classical the marimba robot that cleans the floor. Yes. A marimba. Yes, exactly. The the marimba. Yes. <laughs> this is the worst part. I'm going to do a like a, I'm doing a so much shorter version of my podcast. So I'm trying to force <laughs> in every joke I can. And I was like, Why are you doing this, Dennis? You usually just talk and let. All right. Anyway. Yes. Yes. So, all right, because we're switching to you because you're also a music teacher. I am, yeah. But you teach in a school. I teach in a public school. Which so. is the difference between Julie and, I guess, Dan. I don't know where Dan, Dan teaches. And Jonathan, he is well. And He's not here right now. Yeah. He was like, all right, they're talking to other people. I'll come back. I love how he says he's just been floating back and forth between He'll it. Be That's back. fine. No, he's outside surfing his base, like Jimbo from the Reverend Horton Heat. But, uh, so, I, I, I what made you want to get into teaching at school? Because you teach music at school, at I least, teach, right? I teach elementary like school music. You're not a, a math teacher who's also a musician, right? No, I teach elementary school music, general music. I get okay. So I have a school of about 600 kids, 600 plus kids. I see all of them. They each see me once a week for 40 minutes for general music. Like individually? Um, nope. We have, uh, there's classrooms oh, of okay, about classrooms. 25 okay. to 30 students and they come see me once a week. Um, and I also have a, a fourth and fifth grade chorus that I direct that's okay. 
about hundred yeah, I mean, hundred students. Well, yeah, so I get that. So my job is to but, really but like. When I was in school, all my teachers were in their forties. Yeah, not in it's their a younger generation mid, now. Mid, it's come twenties. Yeah, which is yeah. like I'm I'm thirty five and I'm I have yeah. so many friends who are teachers. Yeah, I'm still having a hard time. The teacher just, boom. Yes. Say what? The teacher boom. The teacher Lots boom. Younger, younger, younger generations being teachers yeah, right now. It's, but yeah. it's a weird thing. Like I can't imagine any of my teachers, even the ones who were younger, hanging out on a boat playing music <laughs> and then going, you know, I'm going to grab a beer. I'll be right back. <laughs> as we were talking about earlier. Right. So it's right. the weird thing I'm dealing with where yes. I have friends where I'm like, dude, we used to like I used to hang out in the boys' bathroom while you smoke joints. I'm like, you know, that's really bad for you. And now you're in charge of the minds and well-being of other children. <laughs> I don't think this is probably what's supposed to be happening right now. So that's a weird thing. What made you want to get into teaching? Because you were talking about you teach 300 students a week. 600. 600 600 plus. Sorry. 600 plus. Half that number. No, I I started on piano. My mom always sang to me as a kid. Um, My my dad was an Orthodox priest, so I grew up in the church and was singing all around me. And um, and when I got to high musicians, yeah, they were well, they were not. They were they they played at home. Yeah, with for me. but when I got to high school and college, I started getting into the marimba, and um, which explain that. I, I, that's what's the difference between that and all the other things that we had mentioned. The vibraphone. Yeah, the, the marimba is a lar- very, very, very large, made out of rosewood, and a lot of uh, nowadays, a lot of people are playing it, um, playing solo marimba, classical solo marimba. So mm-hmm. more of like an orchestral setting, but um, not a not a very big calling for that in the world. So <laughs> I can't imagine, but it's, it's a beautiful instrument. And, um, that's what I, that was my focus in college. Um, so when I graduated, I was like, wait, what am I supposed to do with this? What am I going to be? Am I going to be like a famous solo classical marimba player? Like what am I? So I had to really make it, um, you know, I had to use some common sense and be real, realistic about things. <laughs> that's yeah. That is like, at least you came to that realization. Like, what are yeah. you going to do with this skill yeah. of this instrument? Yeah. Cause I did go to a, uh, I went to an art high school, an art magnet school for music. Uh, we had, I went there because I lived across the street. But we did theater, we did music, chorus, visual arts, and then uh, eventually they started doing dance as well. Uh, so I went to school with all these people who were in a focused program for four years dedicated to their art, whether it be theater, instrument, or whatever. And afterwards, like, what are you going to do with any of the skill? Like, literally... The fact that I do stand-up comedy on a podcast, I'm the person closest to doing the arts out of everyone I know. Like, a friend of mine who was in the theater program tweeted the other day, not the other day, like two years ago, she tweeted, it's like, my husband just noticed a high school friend on Jeopardy. I went to a theater program. None of us have ever been on TV. Like, nobody from the school is doing anything. And I'm like, thanks. I'm trying. Thanks for reminding me. I'm not doing a good job of it. But at least you had that idea, like, you can teach. You went into teaching. No, Most of the people I went to school with who played an instrument unless it's a few guitar players playing local bands but for the most part you know they're they work at a construction job and they have three kids at 30 35 but but those construction workers that might be singing to their children at night yeah and in the right pitch and with rhythm which is why they went to instead of them teaching their own kids how to play an instrument (laughs) yeah but that's so valuable too you know absolutely it all comes full circle somehow all right so you've played a, 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 a bevy of percussion instruments 
Because you were in a drum corps? Yes. Uh, yes. Was that for the vibraphone or xylophone? Or I were played, you actually playing drum drums? No, I played... Um, so I did uh, drum DCI, Drum Corps International. I was, in a, I was in a group called the Cadets. And I was another one, Blue Stars and Spartans. And um, yeah, th- there's like uh, the front ensemble that stands in front of the drum corps as they perform. And that is... Uh, there's vibraphones, there's marimbas, xylophones, glockenspiels, timpani, all that kind of stuff. So I played marimba and vibraphone in those. So... Yeah. So are, at your school, because I met, when I came to see you guys at Aeronaut Brewery a while back, a few of the people I was staying in line next were co-workers of yours, yeah. other teachers. Is your school predominantly younger? Because you were talking about that there was a giant school boom, of, of teacher's boom of people of a younger generation. Is that literally something going on right now that a lot younger people yeah. are getting into education and I didn't notice? Yeah. I, I mean, a lot, of my, a lot of the teachers in my school are young, younger. Um, so yeah, I don't know why. I'm not sure why that that might be. Uh, there there sit- must be some kind of story behind why there's younger teachers now, but I have no idea. <laughs> now going through the day to day activities of school, like balancing teaching them and having to do logistical stuff. Because a few minutes ago you were just I don't know, grading papers or doing some kind of schoolwork. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't sure. Yeah, I wasn't gonna go over your show. I'm like, so yeah, what exactly is it you're doing? <laughs> I'm in grad school oh, right you're now. You're doing your own school. Yes. Grad school for music music education. education yeah. How is music education different that like the cur- curriculum wise? Why how's that different than somebody who just went to school for an instrument? They're teaching us the history behind music education. Yeah. Shaping us into really really great music educators. And the theories behind it and how children learn and why music education is so important. That's a, we have one one class on just advocacy, like just being an advocate for our own profession and art. Because the arts is the first to get cut. It's it's it is. a lot of people That's don't appreciate it. They're like Miss McGillicuddy, are you, you're like, are you teaching our, my kid to be like a, a pop star? I'm like, no. <laughs> I don't want your kids to be famous, you know. We went, so in Baltimore, where I'm from, that's we not what it's about, you know. Where they were really having trouble, and they're yeah. they're back to pushing. Uh, like right now, I think if kids want to play an instrument, they have to pay an extra fee to do it outside of like instrument and stuff like that. They're yeah. forcing kids, yeah, to, who are playing sports and kids who are playing uh, yeah. in the music programs, forcing them to pay more money. So we went through a period in Baltimore where they had a huge campaign to try and keep funding the arts in school. Where the big tagline was, kids who study music do better in, in tests. Is that something that, is that, is um, that a thing that's that, taught you guys in your program? Is that yeah, something that's that you guys focus like a, on at work? Um, yeah, that, that, kind of, that kind of theory is a little deep, has been a debunked um, a little bit. Um, they're different intelligences, you know, like math is a different intelligence, uh, you know, than, than music in but some ways. But, learning but to read music the, helped you. Yes, but you can. It's very cross. Learn read gooder. Yeah, there's a lot of cross cross curriculum things that happen in the music classroom that helps students with other um, subjects and like students who like want to stay after school and learn an instrument and stuff. They're typically students who have a little more. I don't know, motivation or or they want to learn something new and you know what I mean. So maybe that's where they got that that study from. Like, I guess you're teaching band stuff mostly, like. Ensemble bands. Yeah. Is that t- are, are you promoting? Is that helping them with learning like cooperation, teamwork, stuff like that? Absolutely, absolutely. You, there's so. I mean, being in a music ensemble, you learn so much. You learn how to cooperate and how to work with others. Well, moving on to Ellie, who's in the band, because we've already been promoting. Uh, we already mentioned what she does, and I'm incredibly. Uh, first off, how's the tummy? <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Is it better? Uh, 
It's a little bit better. Yeah, as as your listeners know, we are currently on a boat, and, and you were also feeling a we, little green. I was feeling a little green. We also perform on a boat every Thursday, <laughs> so I feel like maybe this was not the gig meant for me. But I'm doing all right. I'm feeling all right. This is the most interesting thing uh, that I had with you guys because. I want to know what musical therapy is. One, how do you start doing musical therapy? Yeah, so music therapy. And two, uh what is musical therapy? Let's switch those questions because what is musical therapy first and foremost? So, so music therapy is essentially, so you know how there is all of this stuff that's inherent in music that we hear about, you know, when we listen to Maura talk about what music can do in terms of cooperation and social skills and communication. Um, what a music therapist does is instead of focusing on musical achievement, you know, I don't teach anyone how to play instruments. What you do is you use music to reach non-musical goals. So things that like, that are inherent in music, like communication, a music therapist uses, uh, with a client with autism. Okay. So music is the medium in which we try to meet the therapeutic goals for a child with autism in terms of communicating more effectively or making more eye contact. Do you um, do that through them listening to music or playing music? Playing music, yeah. Okay. So it's, it's music therapy is a live interactive intervention. Um, and really, like I said, the basic way, the most basic explanation is that it's using music to reach non-musical goals. All right. Because I, when I was reading about it a little bit, I was like, can we use music to fix my heart condition? Like, I, well, can I actually, just do a Boston CD and then just not have to worry about having another heart attack? <laughs> um, we actually do work with cardiac patients. We work in cardiology. Shut up. All right. I'm going to get a chair and sit down. We're, gonna have this. We're really going to talk about this right now. Because I was telling Maura, uh, because I needed to tell her a joke and I needed the, the backstory of the joke was yeah. I get lightheaded. And the reason I'm lightheaded is I'm on medication for my heart because I've had, in the past seven months, I've had two heart attacks and a stroke. Uh, don't, let's just move past it, okay? I'm fine. I'm probably not going to die on the boat. Relax, okay? But can music therapy actually, like, can that just suck the cholesterol and plaque out of my heart? If only it could do that. No, uh, unfortunately, I think Lipitor is going to be your friend there. Uh, but, at Crestor right now. Pretty, yeah, yeah because my doctor likes making sure I have muscle and joint pain. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah I'm glad. To, you know, why do you yeah. know what Lipitor is, by the way? Well, I worked in a hospital as a music therapist. Okay. So, so you just overhear things and like, that's for a heart. Okay. Like, yeah. I know it because my father had heart disease, which, surprise, yeah. I beat him by having, a, 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 I beat him from having a heart attack 10 years before he did. Hey, Congratulations. guys, accomplishments. Co- he must so. be very proud. Ah, uh, well, <laughs> I'll go to his grave and ask. You should. But, yeah. Um, so, so, so I, other than dealing with children with autism, how is music therapy uh, applied? Applied. So, let's talk about it in cardiology and in stroke rehabilitation, for example. Um there is a school of music therapy called neurologic music therapy um, where we take we use what we know about the brain based on brain imaging studies and lots of research to basically create new neural pathways through music so that patients can learn how to walk again after a stroke or learn how to talk again after a stroke or so for example do you remember gabby giffords is is everything that you do live everything you do none of it is almost none is listening none of it so everything is like you live and interactive so i come in i walk into a room if it's a patient uh single patient i will have my guitar i'll have 
some percussion. And if it's a patient who has an aptitude or affinity for a piano, I'll try to bring a keyboard or a, or have them come to a place at the piano. Um, so, for example, Gabby Giffords, the woman who was shot in the head, the congresswoman who was shot in the head in Arizona. Yes. Um, Were they aiming for somebody else and hit her? I, I don't actually remember. Okay. Um, but... One of her language processing centers got shot off during that assault. Um, and that language center is what allowed her to have expressive speech. It's what allowed her to talk, essentially, yes. beyond just understanding. Um, it when allows us to have this exact ability to make this po- podcast yes. right now. Exactly. So when that part of her brain disappeared, her brain needed to figure out a different way to accommodate for this right um so gabby giffords used a music therapist to help her train to learn how to talk again because even though she could not speak anymore she could still sing lyrics and we see this all the time because music is a much more universal stimulus uh, in the brain than just speech so you'll see like every part of the brain light up on an fmri um when you're in not just when you're listening to music, but mostly when you are creating music or you are engaged in music. So what happened with Gabby Giffords is she could still sing, even though she could not speak anymore. And so she worked with a music therapist to translate that, to generalize into the ability to speak again. And, and she didn't play a music nope, instrument so, before. No. Um, you know, music therapy works best for people who are engaged by music. It doesn't work for people who hate music, for example. Yeah. Um, but what we see in the brain is this phenomenon of neuroplasticity. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, but basically, your brain has the capability of creating new networks in your brain, new associations. So if part of it gets damaged with a stroke or part of it is shot off because you were shot, um, your brain can find a way to go around that damaged center and access what it needs to do to function in another part of the brain. And one of the best things to cause that is music what who figured this out uh so there are a lot of neuroscientists who have um looked into this who are interested in it but there's one man who started the neurologic music therapy movement he is both an i think he's an i don't know if he's a neuroscientist or neurologist um and also a music therapist um so he's the one who really put the protocol together but you know I mean, this has got to be very recent, right? It's very recent. You know, we've all music therapy has been around since maybe the 1970s as a profession. Okay. And we know anecdotally that music has made great changes in people's lives, whether it's someone with a psych- psychiatric illness or Alzheimer's or autism or a stroke. We can see that it was really effective in helping them recover or gain new skills. But we didn't know why because the technology didn't exist for us to know why. But now we're able to actually look inside someone's brain and start to understand what the mechanisms in the brain are that allow this to be so therapeutic. So if you think about it, music is a brain-based intervention. Like I'm picturing right now the way they figure this out is they just stuck a saxophone player in an MRI machine. It's like, you know, just play this, play through the humming. They have the, they have those studies. Yeah. They have had studies where they are imaging. Uh, But I'm also picturing like the topless sexy sax man from, um, uh, that vampire movie, um, Boss vamp- Boys. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like, he, just the, the long-haired, yeah, mulleted, yeah. topless sex player is just like, <laughs> and 
as they're moving him into an MRI machine. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's got to be a better yeah. way to figure this out. Yeah. Well, but like one of the things, for example, that we see because of this imaging is uh, when we hear rhythm, one of the things, one part of our brain that is engaged is the premotor cortex. So it's what primes you to be able to move. It's a cue for movement. Um, and so when you're learning how to walk again after you've had a stroke, one of the very effective ways to get you to walk correctly or to walk with the right timing is to do it using music because it affects this very, very specific part of the brain that primes your muscles to start moving. Um, so it's not, you know, it's it's physiological. What instruments do you usually start with people when they're try- when they're going through therapy? Well, it's a depends um uh, you know what we find is but clearly you're not gonna let a stroke player put behind a drum set no and they don't always play the instruments you know so if you're learning how to walk again it's really just a music therapist walking with you playing a really really steady beat based on a calculation we've done on where your gait pattern is and where we want it to be um but when i was working at children's hospital as an intern i was there for 10 months um i would usually walk in to kids rooms with my guitar and like small little instruments and I would usually just present them and see what they gravitated towards naturally and that's what we would work with. Um, so occasionally I'll teach them how to play but a lot of times it's just improvisation or it is us playing songs that they prefer and me in the moment observing what's going on for them and trying to steer the song or steer the music or the way that we're improvising into a specific direction so that they're meeting a goal that has already been discerned. Um, So a lot of kids need to lower their anxiety levels or lower their blood pressure um, pre-procedure. So sometimes I will start playing a song because I can look at their monitor. I'll start playing a song uh, in the tempo that their heart rate is at at the moment. And then... Yeah, or, you know, I believe you, that's just... You know, I don't have, like, perfect, you know, knowledge of (laughs) what 128 BPM is, but um, close to it. And then very, very, very gradually, without the patient necessarily being aware that this is my goal, you know, I You're essentially just playing speed metal and then slowing it down to Sinatra. And then I slow it down, and what we see is that the heart rate goes down, the blood rate, the blood pressure goes down, the oxygenation level goes up. So So that's why it's effective in cardio. That's... Ama- that's fucking amazing. That yeah. So not only did somebody figure that out, that it's actually used. Like, trust me, nobody was playing music when they were sticking a catheterization through my arm. Right. right and my now heart. they are. And what they're finding is that recovery time is faster. Oh, I was like, uh, well, I shouldn't have been. My recovery time was I got out of the hospital at two o'clock the next day. I was on stage at seven o'clock that night. And they're like, oh, my God, I wonder knew. why you had another heart attack. Uh, no, I was... It was four months in between them, all right? I have a hot history of bad cholesterol in my family. I know, I know. It was the cheeseburgers and cigarettes that did it yes, to me, yeah. okay? Not the fact that I go on stage and tell jokes. Right. Although there's a lot of anxiety when it comes yeah, to Yeah, there's jokes. a you lot of what? adrenaline going there's... on. I mean, yeah. And that affects so, all right. on your body. So you, you say that you go in there and you play guitar, what are, and you're basically the Joe Gittleman of the band, the Dirty Dotties, where... Joe Gittleman is the boss tone for the boss tone. He's the guy who dances around, dances around oh, on yeah. stage. I went and sings a backup. I went very deep boss tone's knowledge on that. And I knew for uh, ahead of time, I was like, I'm going to throw this out there and watch. <laughs> so I'm going to get just eyes glazed over. I'm like, yeah, Joe Gittleman. I'm not going to pretend. Yeah. I didn't know. No, but no. I, I would, cool. I would expect people who live in Boston to know the names of the band that's from most famously from Boston. But Well, I'm not a native. Oh, where are you from originally? Connecticut. 
Oh, okay. All right. Fair Very enough. exotic. But so you play guitar, you sing in the band, backup mm-hmm. vocals, and mm-hmm. you dance around. Is there other than guitar? When did you start playing guitar? Let's ask that question. I actually had to learn to become a music therapist. So you weren't playing instruments before that? No, I was really primarily a vocalist. I mean, I can play the piano. Okay. Um, Usually but, guitar and piano are almost everyone's first instruments, usually. Right. I was a singer. Okay. Um, sang in like a choir school. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, initially I went to college to study cultural anthropology. Um, but I ended up leaving that college taking a couple of years off and transferring and applying to Berkeley College of Music as a vocalist. And that's where I went to school. And that's where I discovered music therapy. But one of the requirements is that I am proficient on the guitar. Okay. The piano. Why, what interest, what, other than this being fucking fascinating, what interests you like as a, what, 19, 20 year old? I guess I, mean, I was 22 at the 22. time. 22. All right. So it's still, you're still, mm-hmm. at 22, we're all kids. Trust me. Yeah. The law may say, hey, you can drink and go shoot a gun at war, but yeah. we're still pretty much kids at 22 yeah, years this old. This is true. Trust me. Even though I felt more responsible at 22 than I do at 35. <laughs> Don't know how I accomplished or unaccomplished that, but. <laughs> What at 22 it fa- interested you in that? Because you're a vocalist. Were your parents musical or were your parents in the medical field at least? No, my parents are both teachers. Okay. Um, like one teaches constitutional law and the other teaches ethics and moral reasoning. But they are both musical. And my sister is musical. We sing together. Um, what? Okay. That's... But sort of me, long you, you're telling me this and I'm fascinated. Okay. I'm just sitting right. with my mouth agape. But there's no way I'm ever going into that. Okay. Because there, I don't think I can handle doing something like that. Sure. It's, a, it's a bold thing to go, look, I'm going to heal people with the power of music. Of music. Well, basically, there's a lot of confidence. I mean, music already has healing properties, right? Okay. It's really just taking the stuff that's inherent in it already and applying it specifically. Um, but I... So... When I took time off between my first college and Berkeley, I did some traveling um, and I did some volunteering and I was living and working in India um, at um, a nonprofit that helped resettle formerly homeless children or women and girls who had been trafficked into the sex trade. And as you can imagine, there, as you can imagine, that's that's some heavy stuff. you just naturally, oh, you know, I was just working at, about, as a volunteer in India, helping to put an end to the sex traffic industry. So anyway, I wanted to play the guitar. <laughs> well, no, but here's the thing is, you know, obviously there are a lot of psychological issues that um, accompany that experience, a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and one of the only times I ever saw, especially the young girls, smile is when they were singing and dancing. And it just sort of like put something in my head, right? Like a little seed. That, oh, I guess music, it's more than just entertainment. And it's more than just aptitude. There's, it, it can do something more than that. Um, and then when I got to Berkeley, I discovered the field of music therapy. They have a, the, a music therapy major. And it, that seed that was planted when I was there, that's what made music therapy click for me. Um, oh. And... You know, while we do a lot in the medical field, we also work in the psychiatric field. So a lot of my work at Boston Children's was on the teen psychiatric unit. We also do a lot of work with hospice, so people at end of life. Um, because there is something in music that is transformative. And even if it is big and mysterious, there's no way that, like, I'm act- I'm not healing anyone through music. I'm using what's already happening in music to try to make people better 
like, but targeted, like goal oriented. So that's how I got into that. All right, because this is why I have to write notes because I already just I already got distracted for a moment making sure the computer was running and I forgot what the next question was going to be. The next question had to do about it was uh, we were talking about the healing powers of music. Sorry. No, that's all right. Very rarely do I have a brain fart in the middle of a microphone in my hand. But, uh, like, you stopped talking at the wrong moment. Okay, all right. <laughs> no, no, um, you're fine. No, no, you're fine. <laughs> we're, this, again, we're, the editing is, uh, yeah, the music, they won't pick up the music yeah. in the background. Well, let me but. tell you quickly, music therapy, you get your bachelor's in music therapy, and then you have to sit for the boards to become certified. So, But before you can do that, you have to do 1,200 hours of internship, which yeah. is what I was doing at Boston Children's Hospital. And on Friday... Is that yesterday? Yesterday, I took my boards, and so as of yesterday, I am officially a music therapist. Oh wow! Eleanor this couldn't have been any more perfect MTBC. timing. MTBC. Yeah. Like we've been, like Drew and I have been emailing back and forth for like six months trying to make this interview happen. Yep. So now it, I it, think that's what it is. She just kept delaying until it was like, wait, just wait until Ellie graduates. I mean, she didn't even. She, they don't know. No, they don't know. <laughs> you haven't told them. I was very. <laughs> I don't think I really told anyone I was taking sitting for the exam because I was nervous I was going to fail because. A lot of people fail it sometimes. Um, oh, congratulations. So I didn't. That's actually tell a big anyone. deal. You finished, <laughs> you accomplished what you set out to do. Yeah, I did. And don't just brush that off and like, eh, it's a thing. No, I feel good. I, I feel really good. Don't brush off you successfully doing something the way I brush <laughs> off. I almost died twice. Yeah, but you get it because you now. do that, right? Like, you get why this is a thing. Being like, eh, this is a, I no, just almost yeah. died. Yeah. Because it you don't want people to dote over you. I don't want people to dote. Like I like I was saying. All right, the joke I was saying earlier uh, that made me bring this up is like the boat swaying, and now with the medication I have drops my blood pressure, mm-hmm. uh, and I get dizzy a lot. I get lightheaded a lot. So half the time I've been on the boat, I'm not sure if it's the boat swaying or if it's or my if head it's spinning. That, yeah. So I was like, you know what? I'll just go get drunk enough to where the head spinning and the swing of the boat like, are in sync, and then it'll feel like I'm standing. Yeah, still. like you're stationary. <laughs> so to explain why I'm having that, yeah. I, had to, I had to tell her that I had a heart condition. But I, like the lightheadedness bothers me because every time I tell somebody I'm a little bit lightheaded, especially the nurses when I was doing rehab, they're mm-hmm. like, "Oh, okay," and they grab me and like walk me. To the yeah. Like, Relax. I've been drunk before. I can handle. Well, this. but that's their job, right? Know, and they don't I, want you to fall and get hurt. Well, that's why I have heart condition because I can't stand people be doting over me. When you start at saying, "Dennis, are you okay?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm fine," even though I'm not. Like it forces me the opposite direction. Yeah. Like, I was sitting down uh, down below deck here in the the heat, and they're like, "Is it all warm?" Then I'm like, "No, it's fine." Yeah. Just sit over here. There's a little bit of a breeze. I feel great. So wouldn't it be cool if instead of being in like talk therapy where everyone's like, "Are you okay? Tell me about your problems," and you are like very dismissive wouldn't it be better oh if no my therapy was talking, physical therapy no sure but i'm saying like in general like let's oh, say yeah, i'm yeah, sorry i'm saying like We're let's say about me let's say you're in therapy right <laughs> and i think this fits your description like you would be maybe not very open to being like sincere about all the difficult things you don't like people doting over you wouldn't it be cool to have a therapy where you're not talking and you're just playing music but you're still meeting the goals that you're trying to do. No, that'd be fantastic. Where do I sign up for it? That's what I do. (laughs) That's amazing. I did not expect this to be that interesting of a business. So, all right, I think we're going to take a break Mm -hmm. or or we're going to switch to Austin real quick. If he wants to sit down. Yeah. All right. He's going to sit down. Let's move on to the to the non-teaching member of the band real quick. I'm not a teacher. Music therapist. Okay. But you went to Berkeley. I did. For, well, I guess, well, you're right. But you're not I, a teacher yeah, as well. Teach, Let's no. continue 
with the non-teachers of the band, because half the band is teachers, half the band is not, I guess. Or are you guys the, the, the lone two? It's just us two. Just you two. Okay, so four out of six. Moving on to the to the trombone player of the band, Austin Aroko, which, by the way, I was hanging out with your parents like throughout most of the morning, which they're just adorable. They're the sweetest people. Did yes. they come to all your shows? Yes. Yeah. Well, actually, that's not true. They did for a long Most time. You know, this. I've been playing in bands since I was in high school, and it's novel, and it's not <laughs> novel anymore. And now you know, now more things are happening, so it's novel again. But they've been, they've been very supportive throughout my life. That's I played, good. I played trombone since I was in fifth grade, which is actually late for my like the the school Perfect. system, Bill Ricketts school system. Really? You know, we started fourth grade. It's late by a year, but uh, but uh, late bloomer. Yeah. Late musical bloomer. <laughs> exactly. Well, you're doing well enough now. Yeah. Uh, what, why, what attracted you to the trombone first? Let's talk about the trombone because I really love the trombone as an instrument. Me too. Me too. Clearly. I, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I actually don't know. Someone was asking me this the other day and I, I couldn't, I couldn't give an answer because I, I, I don't remember what my mindset was then. It's 20 maybe, years ago. Yeah. Maybe it was just, maybe it was just that, I don't know. It looked interesting. Looked more interesting than anything well, else. A lot of people's first instruments are either the piano or the guitar. Yeah. And there's obviously kids who start on horn instruments, and then when they grow up and become an adult and they graduate yeah. school, there's nothing to do with those instruments. Like I was saying earlier at my art school, right. there's so many amazing saxophone players that I know that haven't touched the sax in yeah. 15, 20 years. Yeah. Because there's no reason for them to touch of it. Yeah. But also, I grew up in the 90s, so the if you – and you're what, 27? 20, 24, oh, actually. 24? Okay. 24. So you're 24 years old. You're at the bottom end of this, and I was saying this very recently – uh, to somebody that my generation of music, if you played the trombone or the saxophone, pl- saxophone, yeah. when you become older, everyone's like, all right, so how many ska bands were you in as a kid? Right, right. Which, Two. But now, we'll get to that <laughs> in a moment because you also play in a ska band. Yeah. Now, your generation, you're the younger generation, basically, I feel like that's that question is switched from ska bands because that's not as the popular thing to. Yep. In a few years, people are going to start asking, he's like, so uh, how many postmodern jukebox bands right where you in that's it yeah <laughs> growing yeah. up it's gonna just be a cycle of like you know swing bands and then <laughs> retro swing bands and then retro retro swing bands and post retro swing bands and ska bands that's what it's gonna yeah. be but uh, so you're getting that because the band's similar to postmodern jukebox that's how i usually yeah. describe it and i don't want it to sound insulting when i say that but i mean that's the viral sensation where i can honestly closest to describe to people when yeah I that's talk like what people are gonna understand totally yeah so you're, uh, f- fifth grade, started playing the trombone. Yes. All right? Yes. Growing up, you've been in two ska bands. You're currently in one now still, yes. which is, I have forgot the name of it, but uh, the Threat Level Burgundy. Threat Level Burgundy. That's right. You which got I it. I love that. Idea. Yeah. I actually, I mean, this is the first time I said the name out loud. Most of the time, I've just been glancing over the name. Right, right. I'm like, I don't know anything about that band other than they play ska <laughs> and that Austin's in it. How different is it playing in this band compared to playing in... A third wave ska band, second wave ska, style yeah. ska band. I don't, you know, it's all right. It's it's a lot different, but it doesn't feel very different because many of the members of this band, okay, maybe half, maybe maybe three, two, maybe two thirds of the band. For a listened, musical conversation, we've been doing a lot of math. Sure. Yes. <laughs> um, actually, you know, that's not that uncommon. Like you know, subdivisions and math. Anyway, um, <laughs> being as mathematical, yeah, right, yeah. Um, two two thirds of us are like. Listen to Sky and listen to Scott Punk throughout. Dude, I'm an old school root boy. You're, we're all talking the same language. Yeah, yeah. And so I guess it doesn't it doesn't feel super different. It's different in that the music is like totally different. Yeah. And I guess I don't jump around in stages. So when I play with Threat Level Burgundy, 
I like I jump off of amps. Yeah. I um I I jump I jumped a lot tonight today, but I I jump you're, a lot you're, more. You dancer on stage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I you know I do a headbang. You cut a rug. You cut a rug on stage yeah. with their thotties. Yeah. We we do a lot of hardcore breakdowns with third level burgundy, so like I get in a lot of headbang every show. I have I have a sore neck the oh. next day. <laughs> Sooner or later, that neck's yeah. got to be more into shape where right. it's not going to hurt. Hopefully. I don't know. It hasn't It hasn't happened yet, but hopefully. hopefully. Yeah, I can't. Uh, the, I don't remember the last time I headbanged, but I did. I was like, all right. Yeah. Wisconsin, and yeah. I went home. I was like, oh, <laughs> that's that's why I don't go to shows anymore because I can't do this. I'm, <laughs> that's right. I'm 30-some years old. This oh, my is, goodness. <laughs> you can do it. You can do it. Yeah, right. But, but that's, it's not really that different in that. Like, the musical style is... It's a different kind of dance. Like, well, also, other people dance differently. You guys are here, like, most of your shows are, you're doing a lot of covers, so you're playing to a general audience. Like, Threat Level Burgundy doesn't play to a general audience. You're playing, like, punk, I'm assuming, in mixed other punk bands. It's true. Like, when I came up in the punk scene in Baltimore and in D.C., we are playing churches, bars. Yep. We were never going to be ever on a boat playing right. in front of 700 other boats. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I can't imagine Threat Level Burgundy would ever be doing this show. Not that there's anything wrong with not doing right. this type of show. Like, it's, there's got to be that, that uh, a difference in shows between the two bands like like that, right? Yeah, it's it's different in the aesthetic. Like, we achieve, we achieve, uh, I don't different know. Different audiences. Yes, we, 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 you know, we target younger people or people that don't mind music that hurts their ears a little bit. Yeah. People who like, don't mind waking up with a sore neck from the handbag. Right, exactly. Day. That's it. That's it. And, All right, let's get into the job because... Uh, another fascinating job is that you are actually a chemical scientist for Nanoterra. Nanoterra, a, which yes. I kept reading the name and all day in my head. All I've been thinking of the um, the uh, Lloyd Kaufman movie Terra Firma. Oh, which is oh, yes. not a movie that we should talk about at all in public <laughs> at all. <laughs> no, we don't have people. to. But <laughs> that's a nice association in my head. I'll never sure. forget the name of the band, the, the name of the job that you work at. I'm like, oh, Nanoterra, yeah, Terra Firma, which is uh. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I always go to trauma? Like I don't even like trauma movies, but my brain always somehow defaults to trauma movies. Sure, I don't know. But where did where do you go up growing up playing trombone? What does that make you want to be a scientist? I I, I so Billerica Public Schools. I you know I we have AP calculus and AP physics and whatever. I did all of that, and actually you know what it goes back. My father is diabetic. Um, okay, and. Uh, and you know, I see, I see the things that happens with diabetes over the years and like, um, so I, I approached engineering as a way to like, to make that or to help improve that situation. Like I see what diabetics deal with and I want to help make that better or easier to deal with. See, that's, that's the personal connection to your job is that you saw how this industry can change something that you grew up watching your father going through diabetes. Very similar to how Ellie got into musical therapy, watching women who uh, who were in abuse abuse situations were happy when they were playing music and singing yeah. and dancing. There's every every job that we do, there is some catalyst, right? To the right. reason that we do that, especially as artists, there's a reason why we do one thing and then we automatically switch other. Like you have yeah. a real career, you have a real job that you had to go to a lot of school for. Yeah, not that music isn't. They didn't have to go through a lot of training for music to be music teachers. But it's a completely different field. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, growing up, did you ever see yourself, like, when you were a kid, did you see yourself like, hey, I'm going to be an amazingly famous trombone player? No, I don't up? think so. No, I didn't, no, I didn't feel like that. I don't... Trombone I never, was something that you did at school, I'm sure, right? Yeah, and you don't, you don't see, you don't often see trombone players, except for, like, Justin Timberlake's 
backup. I mean, not backup, but like trombone player in his band. Yeah. Like that's that's probably the extent of those. You know that that kind of that kind of fame for a trombone player. Yeah, like these days, the I don't know. Band, that's probably the most <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So um, you got into. I don't really know what the company does. I read your, your the the bio the, the the about us section. I'm like, I have no idea what they do. So what? First off, what do you do at your job every day? I you um, wear a la- you wear a white lab coat. I wear a lab coat, which is very official. Daily <laughs> and safety glasses daily over my glasses. There are only a certain pair of glasses that fit over my current you know prescription glasses that I have to wear. Um, By the way, on the glasses note, I just switched the Zenny optical. Oh oh. These are like fifty bucks. Oh my! They're stylish. Yes, they they're very stylish. They ship to me very quickly. Uh, I just got prescription sunglasses because I've been wearing glasses yeah. since I was in third grade. Prescription sunglasses, seventy-five bucks. Me First too. Third ever. grade, also. Actually, that's like in third grade, I couldn't see the white. I couldn't see the blackboard, the chalkboard. So my third grade teacher was like, "Do you need glasses?" She wrote it on one of my papers. <laughs> we had arithmetic to do every day, and one of them was like, "I wrote everything down wrong," and I did the right math. She's like, "Can you?" Can you see the board? Do you need glasses? <laughs> That's what it was. Anyway, go on. But, Continue. So just, you want to make that switch to any Optical, by the way. But right. Great products, cheap. Yeah. They do not sponsor this podcast. <laughs> but. They should. They should. You're yeah, listening. Zenny Optical. <laughs> I really like your products, and I would love to continue talking about your products. <laughs> Thank you for downloading this podcast, Zenny Optical. <laughs> anyway. But so. You saw what is it that you do every day with your your safety glasses and sure. your lab coat? I um so the company is a is a uh, contract research and development and product development company, which means that um every day like another company like uh like a 3M or I don't know if you can think of another big company they have a they have a, a process or a product development project they want done so we do it. Okay. We, like we'll do all of from the bottom research to um, to to prototyping and manufacturing. So we'll do that for somebody. And my role is as a scientist. I'm you know I'm working in the lab every day to make everything work. So we have you know we have seed coatings. We have uh, mold on demand products. What is seed coating? Like an agricultural seed coating. Oh, seed. Okay, yeah, like seeds. Yeah, like grass seeds, stuff like that. Yep, okay. yep. And um, other things like that, like. Like devices, so, circuit board devices, things like that. When you went to work for this company, you graduated school with what degree? Chemical engineering. Chemical engineering. Bachelor's of science. Bachelor of science in chemical engineering. Yeah. You started working for this company. Did you foresee that you were going to be basically analyzing the glue on 3M products or... <laughs> No, I didn't. Um, I you like, know I, I, what like you said you want to get in this field because you're like my dad. My dad has diabetes. Right. Like, how do you not? I, mean, I want to be able to cure his diabetes. So chemical biology is what you went, in, or chemical right. engineering is what you went into. How is that different than like what I'm doing now? That, well, no, and that's why you're doing now. Like, how is that different than moving into say uh, the medical field instead of like doing right. research in the medical field? Right. It's. How is how is what I want to be doing different from that? Or yeah. how okay. how is it what you do today different than going into the medical field for chemical? I guess stuff? If there are like there are two ways to go into the medical field. I believe with so it's biomedical engineering, which is like device based and materials based. That's what I'm interested in. That's like that's how I that's what I view as the way to deal with diabetes. But then there's also 
Um, then there's also pharmaceuticals, which is another path to deal with diabetes okay. too. Because you actually have to have both. You have to have insulin or, or whatever it is, whatever the chemical, you know, whatever the chemical development is that you want for that. And then there's device development. So, so. going into the science industry, chemical yeah. bio, uh, chemical engineering, engineering. Thank you. Yes. I keep wanting to say chemical biology. That's fine. Chemical engineering. That's what um, I'm interested in. Truth what is the difference between doing the medical side of it with like trying to cure diabetes, then the medical side of it, and doing the mechanical side? Yes. Where are those two fields different? I think that well, they're different in that like I think of medical as almost almost like pharmaceuticals, and then there's like I think there's a crossover of mechanical and medical, which is biomedical. And that's like from what I know, I have a friend who is a mechanical engineer. He works in biomedical engineering, and he does device. He makes devices. He like. The Can I talk about pumps? uteruses? He makes he makes like uh uter uter uh I I can't do it justice, but he does like he does he does actual like inserts and implants for for the human body. Um, so it's like that's materials. It's materials based, like developing a material that works inside the body or works on the body or works to benefit the body. Whereas uh, pharmaceuticals is uh is like chemical. A pill that you take yeah. to address an issue in your body, or I guess on your body. Now you're doing that by day. At night, you're playing in the bands. Yes. On the weekends, do your coworkers? Some some of the guests I've had on there refuse to tell their coworkers that they do comedy or that. Uh, well, it's mostly comedians. They're like, yeah, I don't yeah. tell my coworkers that I do this at night because I don't want them to come see me do this. Huh. Do you live that world where your coworkers know you're a musician, or they do not know? They know. I make sure that they know. I'm like. You guys gotta come to this thing. This is a this is a fun thing because I like I want to make you know I want um, it's it's like pretty laid back. It's not like I'm I'm like trying to hide in a, like an unprofessional quotes. I'm using air quotes right now. An unprofessional side of me from a professional side of me. I think of both of them as professional. So I don't I'm not trying to hide it. I make sure that my coworkers know because because it's a fun time and I I'd like for them to have fun as well. Um, so like, I'll invite them to every, every show that we do every week. I'll invite them to any show. That Listen. is one of the things that like weirded me out when I started doing comedy. It was when I found out other comedians don't tell their, their coworkers, they do this job, they, that they're a comedian. Yeah. It was like, don't you want them to come out and see you? It's like, no, I, it's a different world with music because right. you guys, a people can come see you multiple times. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas comedians, the joke's funny once. Well, I mean, you know, we, we kind of. It can. It's the same thing. Like, music venues are like we we don't want you to play nearby for three and a half or like six weeks or eight weeks because your draw is like that much less the closer you play to each day. So, it, in I think it's similar in that way. But um, I, I don't know. I'm not in. I'm not in both worlds. So I, I couldn't tell you. I are you that. able to listen to music at your job? I do, yeah. I, I, um, I have headphones. I have oh, headphones. earbuds. I say, do you force your music onto your coworkers? Like, look, it's really good. You should come to a show. I, I email. I have a, I have a send all email that I like that I send to everybody and tell them this is the show that's happening. Also, here's my music. Have a listen. But then I, you know, then I play music in the lab. There's lab speakers. I play everything that I want to listen to, which sometimes ends up being my own music. Over lab speakers. All right, and then the day-to-day operations of the job. Like, how hazardous is what you're doing at work every day? I I wear I wear a lab coat and safety glasses, so like I work with I work with you know acids and bases, which you can get chemical burns, and then I work with other things that are like 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 solvents or acid, like think of acetone, like you breathe it in, it's you know it's replacing the oxygen in your lungs. So um, yeah, you know, there's the danger of asphyxiation. 
Danger of chemical burns, danger of... On a scale of 1 to 10, though. I mean, yeah, the, like, dude, I, I worked in the restaurant industry, and we all had to go to the hospital because we inhaled mustard gas because right. one of the cooks wanted to mix... Uh, he mixed all the cleaning chemicals in one yeah. button yeah. bucket and then cleared out the place. Right. So there's hazards in every field, yep. but... Are you, do you, is it more hazardous what you're doing, or are you just like, you know what, 90% of the chemicals we work with is benign, and nothing's going to happen unless somebody really I give it a five. I give it a five. On a scale of one to ten, it's a five. So it's not that worrisome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as long as you, once you know whatever is, once once you know something is hazardous, you know it's hazardous, and then there's, then you can read whatever to like, help you deal with that, or you read what, what the side effects will be, or you read... This is going. You're probably going to have a hard time breathing afterwards. Okay. But you know what's acute, and you know what's long term. You know what you know what's going to happen most likely. I'm going to be one of those people in the band that you'll never see, you'll never hear from. Well, it's um, because you're because you're, you're the drummer. That's why. <laughs> being the loudest member of the band and still being an introvert is an interesting <laughs> place to stand, especially well, when they ask me to rap. <laughs> well, right now, uh, Austin's going to be playing with the other band. Let's go ahead and move over to drummer uh, John. I forgot your Kessler. Uh, Jonathan Kessler. Jonathan. Do you've heard John or Jonathan? John. Jonathan, please. Okay, Jonathan. Oh, yeah. sorry. Let's be all formal. That is what it is. My <laughs> well, mother this... will correct you. <laughs> she really? You're no pregnant. shit. I mean, no crap. <laughs> Yeah, swear away. Okay, I don't all right, fuck. good. Fucking a. <laughs> it's it's a podcast. It's the internet. Let's right. <laughs> There's no censoring the fucking internet. <laughs> I do like how you've switched glasses and sunglasses twelve times since we sat down. I can't decide seconds. if it's too bright or not. Yeah, oh, it, it might be too bright. I took my sunglasses off down below <laughs> deck here just so I can see the computer better for the recording. Sure, sure, sure. All right, let's do this because let's start off with this because I don't actually know what you do for a day job. <laughs> sure. I know uh, you're a drummer, yep. and you, uh, that's about all as far as it goes. Sure. Um, I <laughs> am one of the Dotties that is a music teacher slash Okay, so you're the, the, composer the fourth whatever. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. That's what, well, I know you do that. You have that the composing, like, entertainment yep. gig thing, which I don't, yeah. I look through it, and I'm like, what is, this looks interesting. Sure, it's, you like, know. Because all I know about composers is Danny Elfman and <laughs> his band Oingo Boingo. Those hey, are the only things I at know. At least you know one of the best. You know, yes. you didn't miss, you know. Like Howard really Shore is like one fan. of my favorite. Mark Isham is one of my favorites. If you don't oh, know them, oh. look them up. How could I forget Mark Isham? I don't know if you're kidding. Didn't <laughs> I'm completely being sarcastic? Wow. Because didn't didn't uh you know Snoop Dogg write a song about him? Isham like my snizzle ism? No. Okay. That I know of that that, <laughs> that bad joke's gonna do edit it out of. Of my God, God, I'm going to save myself the embarrassment Jesus of that bad joke. So no, but how did you get into composing? Like, do you do it for films or? So I started writing music when I was a kid. Um, and when I was in high school, I took the theory classes as it were. And um, they only had music theory one and two when I was there. And the Where'd guy, you go to high school did, I went to Burlington that? High School in Burlington, Mass. Okay, is, there, um, is it traditionally known for being a good music school? They have a great music program there. They spend a ton of money there. Like you know, a lot of schools lean on football and hockey. And you know, Burlington High School. I was lucky enough that they focus. They spend just about as much on their music and arts program as they do on their sports, which is absolutely unheard of in this oh, world very unheard of. and That's it's amazing. incredible and it's absolutely incredible their art program there they have sculpture classes they have dance classes it's amazing for a high school for a regular high school they took really good care of me and you know shout out to mr matt lovell and <laughs> uh mr john middleton that are like 
two my biggest of my, podcast fans. I'm sorry, yeah, right. I, I should send. <laughs> I will send them this link, and they will hear their names. Um, you know, Mr. Lovell, Mr. Matt Lovell, was one of my like composing inspirations. He was one of those guys that pushed me to compose and pushed me to write more and more. And he entered my stuff into a couple of competitions in high school, and I won. There's award, composing like, competitions. Yeah, absolutely. They're they're like national competitions for high school kids to get together and like you submit stuff you wrote. And I wrote a song called uh, "Bob's Day at the Office" that was like five minute long composition that told a story of a guy that left for work in the morning and died in a car accident on the way home and descended or ascended to heaven. And when he got there, they decided, nah, you don't really belong here. And they sent him down to hell. And for whatever reason, that piece won some award. I Is it, is it just instrumental or? It's it all instrumental. Thing? And, you know, but you can listen to it and you can like follow the story. Um, and Mr. Matt Lovell pushed me towards composing for film. And when I was a senior we created him and i created the music three program the music theory three program that is still taught there that is actually like a advanced theory and film scoring class wow. so i wound up going to berkeley for film scoring and it's contemporary competition <laughs> it, it was meant to be and nowadays i use that knowledge to help arrange for the dotties i i write and arrange for choirs and orchestra pits and i i play all over the place in various bands and i write and play and teach and Whatever makes me money, whatever keeps me busy, I am more than happy to do it. Anything musical, send it my way. So when did, <laughs> did you start playing the drums originally when you were a kid? No, actually. I started on piano when I was about six or seven. Um, okay. And then my second instrument was guitar and then trumpet. And then I found the drum set, and I've been a drummer ever since. Um, I've since added bass, and I consider myself a drummer, a pianist, and a bassist, a very mediocre bassist. But the other two, I'm, you know, those are my instruments. So anybody out there that plays one instrument that they're not, you know, totally thrilled with, try a second, try a third, try a fourth even, because it took me four instruments to find, like, my home behind the drum set, and I will never look back. Now, being a composer, what, what instrument helps you the best at composing? Because I can't imagine all composers play the same instruments. No, no. And, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of people, uh, there's a lot of people who play piano, and that's sure. where a lot of music's written Absolutely. originally. And, I mean, I feel like... If you can play piano and you're a composer, it's just, it lends itself to flushing out ideas, flushing out ideas, that is. And, you know, it's a linear instrument, so seeing things is easier, hearing things, to me, is easier. Um, I honestly, I've always wondered how, like, when I picture a F-sharp minor 11 chord, I picture it on the piano. But if you're a singer and you only ever sang, or if you're a clarinetist and you only ever played clarinet... How do you see that chord? Do you view it as an arpeggio? Do you see it on the staff? I see it on the piano. I picture everything in my head on the piano, and that's how I've always written. I've always written from behind a piano. Um, I write all my horn parts from behind a piano. I write all my string stuff from behind a piano. I don't know what it is. The, the knowledge that I got at Berkeley for arranging, a lot of it is like specific voicings for genres. If I'm writing for a big band, I know what voicings to use and a lot of those just I, I hear them on the piano first and then I write them for horns and I write them for strings from there I don't know how else anybody does it if you have <laughs> the answer please tell me because I'm interested I'm truly genuinely interested well alright so you've been doing this basically since high school yeah while you Weirdly. were still going to school like were you teaching and everything to make a living that way yeah as well? actually like, so did you ever have a regular day job 
I never had like a regular day job. I worked at Daddy's Junkie Music back when they okay. were still open for a couple of years. That, I ran a store was, in Burlington. That store was brought up. I miss that store so very, very much. Uh, Frank Bramante, if you're listening, I miss you, man. He was daddy, as it were. Yeah. And that store was fantastic. All through high school, all through college, I used to love going there. Um, and nowadays, trying to find used gear is difficult, and that's something that I have always been looking for. I've been collecting gear since I was a kid. And, you know, so other than that, I got out of Berkeley and I got a part-time job and then a full-time job and then I was a manager of a store for a while and after a while I left and started my own production company and I write and play and then somehow I wound up in the Dirty Dotties as we're being live filmed <laughs> we're, elsewhere. We're also doing live. <laughs> See, this is the reason why I do radio and podcasts. I don't have the face for video. I have a face for radio. <laughs> I have neither the face nor the voice for radio. That's that's a true speak right there. Oh, dude, my voice sounds like a truck full of screaming babies crashing into a nitroglycerin factory. Holy shit. Have you heard that before? That's terrifying, my friend. Oh, no. Well, I, one of the things that I, I... I used to be a voice actor for a uh, phone company. Uh-huh. Uh, or, well... It's a radio company that does voice actors over the phone. Sure. So basically wow. when you're, all right, what? here's the, here's the inside on radio. Do you ever hear uh, a radio gag where it's like, hey, this guy sent roses to his girlfriend, but we sent it to his wife instead. Oh, oh no. <laughs> those are all actors. I used to be one of those actors. Wow. I did it for, for, for part-time work. Fair 50 enough. bucks an hour, one hour, guaranteed nice, an hour Not too bad, not too bad. Yeah, no, it's not too bad. Uh, but they asked me, it's like, explain the tone of your voice. And I wrote that down and went, I should not say. I should say cavernous and slightly nasally. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yes. They should not put me in front of a camera. That defines my voice. <laughs> Take that as yeah. what it means. Yeah. But all right. So that's so you're you're contributing your entire musical career at this point to one teacher. Yeah, it's weird. You know, I I've been I mean, saying I you acknowledge for, that, but for a long time, you know I've that. been saying that if you want to make it, like quote unquote, make it as a professional musician, that is to say, like pay all of your bills and find a way to be comfortable you have to be able to do anything and everything so if i get a job writing a string quartet for anybody i'll take it if i get a job from a high school in illinois that's looking to arrange a new orchestra piece like i take it i can do i don't want to say anything that comes my way but i will certainly try it's a very specified job like how do you put yourself out there to get people to find you it's like who goes, hey, we should find a composer to write this new piece? A lot of it is word of mouth. A lot of it is, you know, like I found a handful of people years ago on Craigslist and various, like Berkeley Music has their own, Berkeley has the their way, own Craigslist. This podcast, episode of the podcast should be sponsored, sponsored by, by, by Berkeley. Berkeley Music. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but they, unfortunately, we're sponsored by Dad's Junk Music. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and they're out of business. Uh, so we're screwed. Um, no, you know, it's... A lot of it is just word of mouth. People asking, saying like, hey, I liked that piece. Who did that? Who wrote that for you? Who arranged that for you? And people pass along my number and I get random phone calls and emails from people that are looking for just like their band has a new horn section and they want horn parts written for their band. So I help them write charts. I, I transpose, that is to like listen to music and write it down what I hear and transcribe all these music, uh, transcription, sorry, is writing down. And then I... A lot of people say, like, hey, I like that original tune, but the key doesn't work. Can you write us a new version of it in this key? And whatever people send my way, I will be happy to do. Um, I've been teaching since I was 15. I started teaching friends of mine in high school, and I've been writing ever since I was a kid. So, you know, 
somehow I, I I've been pushing towards trying to make a living at this since I was a kid. Yeah. Um, Fifteen years later, here I am. You're kind of accomplishing that. I'm I'm mostly there. Yeah. I'm mostly getting it done. <laughs> mostly. We, they didn't pick you up off the street. You have a home. You pay your rent. So right. You're accomplishing yeah. it. Thanks, mom and dad, for the support over the years. By the way. Yeah. Um, I couldn't have done this without you. What's, uh, what do you need to do the transition to doing more like film scores and stuff like that? Like, you know, do you work with local filmmakers? Um, so when I first got out of school, I, I did like more of the scoring side of things. And it's really hard to make a living doing that. It's really hard to find enough work yeah, to pay all your bills. You hear that, John Williams? It's really difficult no, for you to be no, making no, the money no you're shit. making. Shit! <laughs> it must be nice to be John Williams that like you just automatically make millions just by signing your name. It's asshole um but you know certain people certain composers out there certainly deserve their paychecks that's for sure he is absolutely one of them um dramatically underrated score sabrina if you ever look into it the teenage witch no sabrina he wrote a jazz piano score for the whole thing and it's exceptional it's brilliant um but you know there are obviously the legends the greats that i've grown up listening to that have been part of what formed my sound as a composer i've been listening to film scores since i was a little kid um so you know it's really as long as i don't have to take like a quote-unquote normal job and i can pay all of my bills and still put some money in savings somehow as a quote-unquote again professional musician that term is a joke if you've ever met me (laughs) i'm not a professional musician um they pay me to do the job i don't understand it um but honestly you know I have the best job in the world. I'm on a boat on a Saturday afternoon getting paid entirely too much money to bang away on the drums for an hour. This is the best life I could ever ask for. I love no, this shit. No, there is absolutely no, no. Trust me. There is at no point during my 15, uh, what am I, 18, 17 years in radio dot, that dot, I expect dot. to be sitting here with <laughs> a band on a boat going, yeah, I'm here. This is what we do what we for doing. a living, guys. Yeah. I mean, Aren't well, you jealous? Your band makes money. My podcast doesn't. <laughs> Maybe I work someday, in radio. I mean. Radio pays my bills, and it's every day I go in there. And like, fine, I'm the closest to a nine to five I've ever had in radio at this sure. point. I work Monday to Fridays. I don't work holidays. I get weekends off. I go in at six in the morning. I get off at six thirty at night. Bah. But I have a five hour break in the middle, so it's a weird. Morning. That's an interesting schedule. It is. Well, Absolutely. I do traffic reports, so I go in the morning to produce yep. the traffic reports for morning drive. Wow. Leave, come back to do afternoon drive. Wow. Wow. Some people only do morning. Some people only do afternoons. I get to do both because I'm that stupid. In demand? Uh, Let's yeah. go with in demand. In, in demand, <laughs> a.k.a. dumb to take the shift. No shit. But that's what pays my bills, barely. Right. You know, And I'm also doing comedy. So comedy doesn't, comedy doesn't pay me. Podcast doesn't pay me. Radio pays me. Sure. And as a 17-year-old kid, if you told me that, hey, my rent's paid by being in the radio industry, I'd, I'd punch you in the dick because I think you're lying to my face. <laughs> Like, I never thought that this could be happened. So it's gr- that's why I'm doing this podcast, because I'm still working. Like, my 9 to 5 is radio, but I sure. want to be doing comedy at night, too. Sure. I want to make my money from comedy. I want to make yeah. my money from radio. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's where I put my efforts. Do whatever you and can to musician. pay your bills while, you yeah. know, keeping your passion alive. Things that I never say that, like, you know, I know plenty of people out there that, you know, it's totally just a part-time thing. But some of us, we... We have to get out and create, and we right, have to yeah. play and perform and be part of that scene as much as we can. And you know, well, at what point the lucky does, ones we get paid to do it. <laughs> at what point does the job go from a craft and a uh, craft and a 
profession and a talent to being a job job. Like About paperwork, years taxes. Um, as soon as I started keeping track of my income, <laughs> um, so seven, six and a half, seven years ago, I like, left daddy's and, you know, it's tough because... It's always been my passion. It's always been the thing that I've done. I, I, I never played sports growing up. I always played music. It was always the only thing I was really that good at. And, you know, having the opportunity, I'm good. Thank you. Having the opportunity to do this for a living seemed too good to be true. But it's, it's a weird line to walk because, you know, you want it to still be your passion. You want to still be creative, but, now I have to take pretty much any job that comes my way to pay my bills. Well, let's talk about. So it's a weird line to walk between: Am I being like creatively satisfied, and am I paying my bills on well, let's time? Let's talk about the, the the bookkeeping aspect of sure. it. Sure. Like, do you blow off count? You know, checking receipts <laughs> and and keeping you know track of the numbers and stuff just to go. You know, I'm just going to go play the drums. And like, do you convince yourself that playing the drums instead of doing the paperwork is more beneficial to your job? So, or do you, you know, have to do you have to budget that time to do that kind of stuff too? If my accountant is listening to me, she'll be mad. But you know, I'm supposed to keep on top of that stuff and do it regularly, like all the time, because it's really hard to keep track of. But I keep copious, very specific notes of every time I get paid, every time I pay myself, every time I buy something for the business, and I enter stuff into QuickBooks once a quarter or so. And for the most part, you know. I spend a couple hours every few months updating my spreadsheets and all that crap, and really doesn't take that long. It's really not hard to keep track of. Um, you know, anybody that's thinking about starting a small business but is afraid of like, but what am I going to do? Like, it's so hard to keep track of your income, and it's really not. Honestly, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Well, yeah, it's it's not difficult to do it, but in your head, is that the all right? I guess I'm going to the office to do the paperwork now. Because so, your brain has to switch between those sure. two professions. Right. And, you know, I know that it's a necessary evil. And I know that if, it, if I wait all year and do it once in April, I'm screwed. So every now and again, I, I, I have to be my own manager. And I have to convince myself to go sit in my office and do the paperwork, the grunt bullshit paperwork, and make sure everything's up to date. You know, I do have to convince myself to do it. Um, I do have to push myself to do it because it's not like I'm making money doing it. I'd rather be out playing, writing, teaching, making money. But it's a very important part of what I do that I have to, you know, stay on top of that crap. So, you know, when I first started doing this, I told myself every Monday morning, I'm just going to sit down and yeah, <laughs> that has never once happened. Not Not two fucking weeks in a row have I sat down on Monday mornings and done that. Um, eh, six years later, I do it every handful of months. Whenever I feel like, you know, I want to waste an hour and do this, I, uh, I jump on and do it. And I, I, I now have like my own separate office space, which I, I can go and I can sit in my office and I can get work done and being like secluded from the rest of my house and the rest of my life. My office, when I first started was in my bedroom and now I have like the chance to have a separate room where my office is. So has that helped you? It's helped me tremendously because, you know, now I treat my bedroom as a bedroom. What a novel fucking concept. The only thing I do in there is sleep. Wink. Um, but you know, nowadays, if I want to go to work, 
I have like a separate room to go to. That's helped me immensely. It's incredible, right? It's like it's I night have, and day. I have a studio, a podcast studio at home that I use as a home office. So like, I run a website, BostonComedyShows.com, where I promote all the local Boston comedy shows. So when I was trying to do this in my bedroom, like at my little fold-out TV table or in my bed, nope. nothing would get done. I would nope. get distracted. Even nope. when I sit down and write jokes, just I can't no do way. it. I have to get up and I have to leave. When I v- edit video, I have to do- – like I'm great when I go to my job and I'm doing it on my off sure. hours. I can knock things out. Yeah. But if I try to do it from home, I can't until I built a studio. I, feel I like go a, in there, like, it's work time. One of the things that I also gained from that that you probably know is, you know, now that my bedroom is a bedroom – I can like go upstairs and I can sleep and relax. And when when my bedroom was like my hangout spot, my office and my bedroom, I I was spending way too much time in there. Now I go upstairs and I like I go to bed. And if I have to relax, I go to my living room. If I have to go to work, I go to my office. It's like, you know, I'm almost a grown-up now. <laughs> I shake my head because who who am I kidding? I'm not a grown-up. Well, it's excellent that you've been doing that. Uh, composing and musical arrangements, and then you're getting to the point where you're paying your bill because doing the paperwork, the the taxing and stuff is a pain in the ass. I'm sure having the promote yourself, oh, yeah. like luckily the word of mouth works well enough for you. But having to just get your name out there is also, you know, with the band trying to get the band name out there. Right, it's all about marketing and just like bothering people, yeah. poking people, just and endlessly. Hey, come don't see us. Have right. to do in your head, right. So. All right. It's not Let's, fun, but it's helpful. All right. We're going to pass the microphone along <laughs> to the bass player of the band, Danny Trezza, which, again, you're the fourth of four music teachers in the band. Yep. Are you teaching alone on your own? Like, I, uh, Or do I, you work for a school like Mara I, does? I work for uh, not a public school, but I work at a, like a studio-type school. So oh, okay. I do private lessons. So I, a, I don't a do... a studio of people. Yes, exactly. What studio? It's a company. It's called LB Music School. It's in Medford. There's okay. two locations, Medford and Wakefield. So, uh, yeah, so I do private lessons just like Julie and Jonathan, but uh, don't do it on my own. So. All right, so do you work mostly then at night, or is there plenty no, of people I work, kids during the day? I work Monday to Friday and uh, throughout the day, all day, you know. So uh, just like yeah. 9 to 5 or yeah, whatever, but, uh, 7 to 3 uh, or whatever. 12 to 8, how about that? <laughs> you know, okay. 12 to 8. How do the kids go to the school then if they're, like, oh, granted, summertime now, but... Summertime now, you know, uh, a lot of homeschooled kids come okay. earlier. Uh, I teach adults as well. And, uh, you know, kids come after school, stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, you know. How'd you get hooked up with that school then? Craigslist. <laughs> oh, they just had the opening. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, they were looking for teachers. And, I, uh, you know, I applied and got a job there. And I've been there almost four years now. That's not a bad gig. Yeah, no, it's it's really it's it's a great doing gig. All the back end stuff. You there, teach and then leave. I show up, I teach, and that's it. I don't have to worry about my schedule. I don't have to worry. You know, someone stops. Chances are, someone. Well, chances are, you know, someone signs up again and is there in the slot. I don't have to worry about payment. I don't have to worry about. So, you know, whereas they're taking a cut, um, rather than what Ju- uh, Jonathan and Julie do, where it's you know. I don't have to do any of the book work. So it's nice, and I, I enjoy it, you know? Do you ju- exclusively teach bass? Cause the, no, so I actually... A, bu- a bunch of instruments. Which is funny. I actually have zero bass students. I'm the <laughs> bassist in the Dirty Dotties, but I have zero bass students. I teach uh, mostly piano, guitar, violin, and I have a couple ukulele students. <laughs> 
So you play multiple... Like, yes, yeah, I do. I know my, a lot of my friends are musicians and they yeah. play multiple instruments and most of them are self-taught. Yeah. Like, they don't know how to read sheet music, they just know how to play things. Yeah. Um, but none of them would ever go into teaching because they don't have that background. Yeah. Like, they didn't go to college, they barely graduated yeah. high school. I uh, I started piano when I was five, you know, uh, thanks Which, mom and dad. I, uh, you know, I hated it until now it's a career, but... Uh, you know, I started playing piano when I was five, uh, started violin in like third grade, and then I moved to bass. And, uh, you know, I went to school for music and school for music Berkeley education. Well? No, not no. Berkeley. I'm You're from the non-Berkeley. I am non-Berkeley. This podcast is sponsored by Berkeley yeah, School of Music. You know, they have enough money. They don't need to. They could sponsor this. But, um, yeah, I actually, uh, I'm from New Jersey. I've only been in Boston about four, five years now. So, uh, just moved up here. For you the moved home. here for the job. Yeah, I moved here for a job, and a, a friend from uh, back home from New Jersey I grew up with needed a roommate. So I had a place to move into and a job at the same time. So I said, oh, Boston it is. Danny, tell me how it feels to be the luckiest man alive. Yeah, you, you know, you know, I, uh, I always say to Julie sometimes when uh, we're playing a show or, you know, something, you know, isn't going right, you know, in whether we're practicing or we're playing or we're at a gig. And I, you know, I always say to her, you know, we could be shoveling shit right now. You yeah. know, you, you know, we have it. We, it's a good attitude uh, to have. But, you know, I, I'm lucky. I'm very lucky. I'm, I'm very, I know it. And, you know, like, look at, look at today. Like, I've been on a boat all day. I, I played a set of music, listened to some other amazing bands, having some drinks, having some food. And, you know, I could be, you know, not knocking the garbage man, but that's not me. But <laughs> when did you? Well, let's 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 go back in this because you started piano at five. When did you pick up the upright bass? Because that's a very specific well, instrument. I uh, and it's also I, about the, the I, same price as a car. I started piano at five, and then I uh, I was itching. I guess I re- I kind of remember I was itching for another instrument, and in in my school in New Jersey, the first. Uh, instruments you could pick up was strings in third grade so i started playing violin and by playing i mean you know you're in third grade you're making screechy noises so i did that i think third fourth grade and then fifth grade came around and my string teacher at the time said you know you're not a i don't don't see you as a violin player let's we have this bass here Okay, so it was the school that played it. It was that, the school. That put it in your hands. The school so you put didn't it in start my with hand. an electric bass or anything like nope. that? I started with I started with upright. Okay. I started with upright, started playing that, and, you know, just really, I mean, thankful for the school for giving it to me, but they didn't give me much instruction on it, so I kind of figured it out on my own. Especially since it's like three times your height at fourth grade. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. And I remember, you know, we'd have to pull it out of the closet and stuff like that, but started playing that, and then... um you know, I think... Well, six- truthfully, Danny, what, let's just let the audience in on this. You're not really a person. You're three kids in a trench coat that's playing. <laughs> yeah, basically, basically at that time, yeah, you know. And I started out classical, you know, high school orchestra, stuff like that. And then started getting into jazz and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, kept it up. And then one day I answered an ad on Craigslist and I showed up at Julie's house. And Do you play the electric at home or for yeah, other bands I- and previously? I do play the electric. I don't play it all the time. You know, I can play it, but, you know, I don't, uh, mostly because my, other than working and teaching, my other gig is playing with these guys, so it's mostly, mostly upright for me. Okay. 
in previous bands though? Were you oh, playing yes, everybody in yes, a previous yes, bands though? Yeah, I uh, you or know, were you playing electric in previous bands? I was playing electric in previous bands. You know, went through the uh, emo stage in high school. Had a had an emo band called <laughs> Eyes Full of Tears. EFT, oh shout out. Yeah, yep, yep. EFT. You can't Eyes... do anything but be an emo band with that yeah, name. Oh yeah, oh, Eyes wow. Full of Tears, man. We had a song called Christmas Suicide. I mean, there you go. There you go. Oh, we all, we, had an, like we also had another song called I Cried After the Fight. Like, you know. <laughs> so, there you go. Yeah, I mean, you want an emo band? You got one. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. So, what, what made you switch to, like, playing in an emo band? What did you, how did you answer the Dirty Dotties? Did you, like... Oh, we're kind of a jazzy ska ensemble band. I, uh, you know, what drew you I, to I, moved, that? I moved up here and, you know, people scoff and people joke about Craigslist, but for musicians, Craigslist oh, it's is, it's absolutely fantastic. Craigslist is actually a really great it's much thing. Better than I the, mean, the b- billboard at the music it, store where exactly, you put pins exactly. in. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, like that's how I have my current job. Like, you know, I found it on Craigslist. But uh, I don't I don't even remember what Julie's ad was. But you know she had she put something up on Craigslist looking for upright bass, you know, put a a track of their music, and I was just like you know, whatever. Let me see what she says. I sh- I showed up at her door, and uh, you know, little half Ju- half Jewish, half Italian girl greeted me, and you know, the rest of four years later, the All rest right. is history. So you're fortunate. Before you moved up here, were you teaching in Jersey? I was, I was teach. Uh, yes, I was teaching in Jersey, and I was mostly playing in Jersey too. I I, I worked at a banquet hall type of thing, and oh, you worked you at know. a banquet hall as like yeah. a house band. Yeah, oh, a house piano player. You know, I would a house play, piano player. You know, just play piano for weddings, stuff like that. You know, oh. I actually have a gig tomorrow morning. I'm playing uh, piano for a brunch morning after wedding brunch. You know, <laughs> I'm gonna sit there and play piano in the corner for a couple hours while no one pays attention and make a couple bucks. You know. That's great. It's a right, well, we're about the dock. So we are back at let's, the dock. Let's let's uh, let's wrap up this podcast. Uh, thanks for doing this, man. Hey, thanks for having me on the boat you. to do this. Thank you for coming. Thank you for Everyone having us. Everyone was great. You guys were fantastic. Sounds so, good. All right. Cool. Thanks. It's done. We we can stop. The, we can stop pretending we like each other. <laughs> and there you have it. My podcast with the Dirty Dotties, the live podcast from a boat in the middle of Boston Harbor. It was a good fun time. I really glad uh, Julie came up with this idea to do the podcast on because trying to fit all six of them here in my studio was going to be impossible because it is quite cramped in here. Uh, and now it's getting to the part of July, the part of the summer, mid-July, where it's unbearably hot in the studio. And I don't have an air conditioner in it because I can't run an air conditioner. Well, I only own one air conditioner and it's in my bedroom where I spend almost all my time that's not in here at home. Like if I'm home, I'm pretty much here in the studio or in my bedroom uh, not sleeping. Pretty much just how I work. but So, yeah, it's unbearably hot in the studio right now. So all six of us in here right now would have been nearly impossible. Actually, physically impossible on so many so many levels. One, the heat. Two, square footage. But it works for everything else, and I enjoy it in here. But if I had an air conditioner, couldn't run it when I had somebody in here anyway because the sound would come over. I mean, there's things I could do to fix that. All right, let's stop with the tech talk, Dennis. But, no, I'm really glad I got to go on the boat. I got to see parts of Boston that I haven't gotten to see before. Um, and it was just fun being forced to hang out with them for seven hours on a boat where none of us could escape each other. Uh, I enjoyed that part very much. I hope they did as well. I don't know. I found out on my way home and I got a bone to pick with them because nobody t- pointed this out. There was a, a, sm- a bit of, uh, sm- dried blood on my neck from cutting myself shaving and nobody pointed it out. Like I was, uh, got home and I saw this giant 
spot on my neck. And I'm like, oh my God, they must think I'm a psycho walking around all day with just blood all over me. But I enjoyed it so much. Like it was a lot of fun being on the boat, hanging out in the water. Uh, like my favorite thing to do while we were, we were going was just like go past sailboats or like kayakers or people like stand boarding or whatever they call that dumb thing where you stand up on a board and you paddle, paddle boarding, paddle standing. Uh, my favorite thing was to go past them on our big, huge boat and just give them like the, the tractor trailer trucker horn sign. And then just look at me like, what? What? I don't know what that. I, I don't have a horn. And there was plenty of dogs. None on our boat on other people's boats. There was plenty of dogs on other people's boats. Uh, dogs with life preservers on. Like, how adorable is that? Like somebody just literally one guy had to keep his dog from jumping into the water because the dog just wanted to go play in the water. Uh, but I do wonder how does one uh, keep the dog from like the dog has to go to the bathroom. Do they, do they just go in the boat? Like people, yeah, they'll jump in the water, go in the water and get back out. That's do, do animals know they do that there? And I don't know if I, uh, I really shouldn't think about how much people pee in the water when they're swimming. I just. I think we should all go through the rest of our lives just ignoring that fact that we know people pee in pools and rivers and creeks and harbors and stuff that we all swim in. I didn't do any swimming. There was no swimming on our boat. But anyway, I don't know a better way than to kick off Music Month in the middle of July than with the Dirty Dotties. It was a great listening to all the things that they do. Like, again, they're teachers, but they all teach in different ways. And then you have... Um, Austin, and you have Ellie, who have completely interesting jobs in the science and medical industry. You know, I, I learned a lot about music therapy, which I didn't think was a thing before. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast as well. Uh, go check out the Dirty Dotties music. Uh, I know they just finished a Kickstarter, so you can't donate to that, but they just finished a Kickstarter to, to put together their second album. One album's already up on iTunes, Bandcamp, all the usual places. You can find links to that stuff at thedirtydotties.com. You can follow them on all kinds of social networks and things. Just, you know, the Dirty Dotties. They got the marketing thing down pretty good. Like, the synergy between social media groups, they have that down packed. Just search the Dirty Dotties, D-O-T-T-Y-S, as Julie pointed out at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed their music. We're actually going to finish this up with the song that is going to be our new end of the theme, uh, end of the podcast theme song, uh, because it sums up everything that this podcast is kind of about. And this is the Dirty Dotties, plight of a first world 20-something. Thanks so much for listening. So what do you really do? I'm Dead or Dennis. You told me what you want, told me what you need. You look pretty good and you're just my speed. And I know I'll be exaggerating on my resume. Well, you asked me for a little interview. But honey, we both know that I'll never do. Cause I've never done this job before. Well, we're all grateful for a foot in the door. But now we want something more. Well, all my friends are looking for better jobs, better jobs, oh, we're getting sick of living in a box, in a box, poke some holes in the top. Some of us went to school, some just learned from the world Some are occupying thousands, some average uncles But either way, 
We're learning something every day And I know plenty of folks with nine skills in their field But now they ain't complaining, they're just keeping it real But we can't all work for non-profits And allow us to pay our bills And are all so creatively satisfying Maybe we should quit our bitching and just give it time Or maybe take up a life of crime Well, all my friends are looking Getting sick of living in a box, in a box. Poke some holes in the top. Despite a nine to five job, at the end of the day, I want to stay up late. Stay. I wanna stay up late. Up.